And now, a word from our sponsors. Gabriella Balcom won the right to have a novel published by Clarendon House Publishing when one of her stories was voted best in the anthology in which it appeared. Her book, On the Wings of Ideas, came out following this. What's your favorite genre? Fantasy? Horror? Sci-fi? Romance? Literary fiction? This multi-genre collection of short stories includes all of that and more and has something for everyone. Gabriella's stories will alternately move you and bring you to tears, captivate or horrify you, and have you on the edge of your seat. Don't miss out. Be sure to get a copy today. Submissions are now open until August 1st for the Sweetie Cat Press Anthology, The Whole Wide World. The submissions should be episodes of no more than 3,000 words and as few as 50 words about the worldwide adventures of Detective Curly Knucklewad and his assistant, Miss Wanda Wowser, as they go on a manhunt for the unknown thief of the limp noodle sauce recipe stolen from the secret government food laboratory in San Francisco. Submission guidelines are in the blog section of the Sweetie Cat Press website at sweetiecatpress.com. That's sweetiecatpress.com. S-W-E-E-T-Y-C-A-T-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Gabriella Balcom's thrilling sci-fi novella, The Return. The world doesn't know about the compound hidden underground and the wealthy investors funding it want things to stay that way. Although it's the year 2027, most of the facility's research is illegal. If animal rights activists had an inkling of what went on, they'd clamor for justice. Human rights activists would scream from the rooftops. By the time 2030 arrives, researchers have worked for a while with feline service units and human replicas. HRs, who are virtual prisoners with no rights. More and more of them are dying and they long for freedom. Surprisingly, one of the top scientists isn't happy with the status quo either. Tensions are mounting and things are not as they appear. Summertime is here and the best way to beat the heat is with these great deals at MythMart.com. Join the adventure with sisters Emma and Olivia as they journey through the land of imagination in search of Yoon, the magical unicorn, in David K. Montoya's The Missing Unicorn and the Land of the Zombie Fairies. Or travel with poet Christopher Bice as he shares his thoughts on love, death, inspiration, and madness in Escaping the Darkness, Running from My Dreams. If fantasy romance is more your speed, join Celeste and Merrick as they figure out how to defeat the evil Ren doll while they figure out the plans of the elders in Stephanie J. Vardy's The Chosen. Like comic books? We got them too! Hot Off the Press is American Smash by Alan Russo and David K. Montoya for $4.99. Or enjoy our older releases like The Hunter's Exodus for only $2.99. Also, just in time for the summer are these other hot deals like Zoe M. Montoya's Uni Whale t-shirt, blue for boys and pink for girls, only $33.99. Or Lupus Bits the Podcast shirt for $27.99. For all our art lovers, we have something for you too with our prints and lithographs. Check out the Ed Vickford collection for $15 each or enjoy the art of Vincent May for $15. We have everything you'll need to stay inside and beat the summertime heat at MythMart.com. 
For more information, go to www.mythmart.com. Call us at 870-557-2612 or email sales at mythmart.com. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Welcome to my public life as American nerd. My name is Eddie, and today I have a very special guest. I have a special guest that is a comic book artist. His name is Bill McKay. Say hello, fans, Bill. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, I looked you up the, for the first time after um, finding out who you were, and uh, you do some covers that I actually have purchased. And when I looked up your name, I found um, a lot of Bill McKay's. That's a very popular name. And uh, coming across, I, I, I thought I clicked on you. And as a younger preacher, this, this one guy, and he is a composer, a famous composer and guitarist. And I, clicked, and I said, does he play guitar? Is, is he a musician? What is he? So I clicked it. That, that can't be him because it didn't have any art. And then I came across another Bill McKay. And it said Bill McKay was arrested for, for ticket violation. <laughs> and no, so, so I had, I had trouble looking for you. Um, but if you put Bill McKay art and you know, the comic books, you'll find uh, Bill McKay. Yeah. There's a Bill McKay musician. And then uh, Robert Redford played a character, I think. And it was Bill McKay. So you'll find oh stuff movie also, but um yeah, Bill McKay art, Bill McKay comic, Bill McKay zombie, anything extra will go right to me. Bill McKay boobs. Um, <laughs> boobs. That's, yeah. a, that's a good way to be known. Um, you mentioned zombie. Okay. Something I wanted to talk about, about because uh, I purchased the book a while back and it was Zombie Trap and uh, it was by Dan Mendoza. Uh first time I heard of him a few years back and opened up the book and I ended up buying it on Amazon. And I liked his art so much that I started purchasing more of his comics, not knowing that I was behind the eight ball of his art being transferred to other artists uh, such as yourself. And you pretty much took over Zombie Tramp from Action Lab no, not really. I okay. was just a cover. Okay, just a cover. Uh, so I did 53 covers okay. for Zombie. But I never really took over when Dan left. I left also, but I had a couple more covers on my contract. Mm -hmm. So I played it out just a bit longer than Dan was there. But um, when Dan was done, I felt it was only right that I left also. But I was strictly a cover artist. And that was for, for Action Lab. And you also did some other books, um, such as um, Dollface as well. And I got a couple of those, uh, Dollface, uh, unknowing that, that it was you that had been the artist on as well. Yeah, that was, uh, that took forever to clean that one up. And I finished that on Thanksgiving and had to get it off to the colorist and it had to be in the next day. That one was, uh, that was my first 
attempt at dollface. I actually, so, we actually like this one. This was one of the the first ones that you had uh, done. Uh, my wife, my wife is a collector of dollface. Really, we have a couple of other ones from Dan Mendoza as well, and uh, she likes dollface. She she likes the storyline. There there was a change in the storyline after Don, Dan had left, and you notice um, uh, some of the changes uh, that it was a different uh, writer for. Dollface and Zombie Trap. No, absolutely. How, how did you get started in comics? I've always wanted to work in comics, and I just kind of get frustrated. And I was working a job, and um, I pretty much draw all day. And a friend of mine introduced me to Deviant Art, and he introduced me to sketch cards. And the idea of Deviant Art, where you could do art and post it online, and somebody would see it immediately was just gave me inspiration to kind of work harder. I'd never quit drawing. Um, but soon after that, there was a book called Zombies versus Cheerleaders, and they had a contest for a, a pinup. If you submitted a pinup and they liked it, they'd publish it. And oh. I was, it was like right on my alley. It was like, how do I not try? If I, if I don't submit something to that, I should give up. And I submitted it, and they said, um, you know what, we want to use this as a cover. Can you do another pinup? And then I worked on almost every issue of that book, um, doing colors or uh, interiors, covers, um, everything but writing and lettering. While I was working on that, I wanted to I wanted to find something else. And so DeviantArt and being involved with Zombies versus Cheerleaders made me aware of Jason Martin, who had Super Real Graphics, and he was a writer, artist, publisher. He was publishing Zombie Tramp at the time. Dan was a friend. So I talked to him about working together because he did everything I didn't want to do. He did putting the books together, writing the books, and then I could just draw. And so we started working on uh, a book called Night of the 80s Undead. So I met Dan through Jason when Action Lab decided to expand and create a mature line. Jason was brought on to run that imprint. And then Zombie Tramp fell in and Night of the 80s Undead fell in. It did okay, um, but it was really working on Zombie Tramp, getting to do coverage for Zombie Tramp that kind of made a name for myself and kind of led to everything. You said that you, you entered a, uh, a contest for uh, Zombies versus Cheerleaders. Was that in a, a local event or was it nationwide? No, it the publisher was in Washington State, and Moonstone was the publisher, but it was just a... Uh, on DeviantArt, it was. It's just an yeah. Anybody is you know you can just submit digitally. No, no. You said obviously you you elected to join into that. Are you uh, more of a horror comic artist, or you did different types of things growing up? Early on, I liked superheroes. Like I loved uh, Marvel when I was a kid, and then as I got older, I discovered heavy metal. And uh, Richard Corbin and Mobius, and that kind of changed everything for me. But I was a horror fan, movie fan since the 80s. Slowly, I just moved into drawing. I always loved pinup girls and like brutal violence and uh, things like that. And that's kind of what I've worked on and been lucky enough to continue into comics with. That's where my passion is, um, not with superheroes, but just drawing pinup stuff and, uh, and, Horror, but in a fun way, like not, I, I don't want it to be ugly and ugly gore. Not to be 
like unacceptable subjects, but done in a shiny, colorful pop way. I'm trying to, uh, okay. I, I pulled up uh, your Facebook. Actually, I want to go to your, there we go. Bill McKay Art dot big cartel.com it's bill mckay art dot big cartel uh, dot com is your website now um I, this is one thing that has interested uh, me yeah. pardon me was that bill oh that's my online store okay yeah this is your online store now what i'm looking for is something that um right there okay lady death you actually worked with uh, brian polito as well yeah, I did uh, seven Lady Death covers. Yeah, we collect quite a bit of uh, Brian Polito. Are, are pretty big fans of uh, his work and also uh, his artists that he chooses to do um, a lot of their layouts and covers. Um, how did you get involved with uh, Brian Polito? Um, through I met Brian years ago from through the guy who published Zombies versus Cheerleaders, and I would go over and talk to him every now and then at conventions and ask about cover work. But it was, uh, I think through Dan that we met Brian and had breakfast with them one morning in Vegas. And, uh, I think that's where the covers came about. Cause, cause you said you like, um, heavy metal and you're yeah. talking about the, the, the comeback and the, and the movie heavy metal, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that, made me think you also did lady death so that's why i pulled that up were you movie inspired what do you mean movie inspired was there any movies that actually inspired you to do and create different art and uh become an artist yeah absolutely that was uh um as important as comics um like when i was really young it was star wars and that was like the superhero era, but then again, heavy metal and then Mad Max and the road warrior. Oh, Mad Max. Carpenter stuff and wizards and, uh, later anime when anime kind of broke in the late eighties. Um, but then, uh, yeah, horror stuff, you know, the eighties horror stuff was a huge influence, but I was drawn after I saw road warrior, that thing made me go off the deep end with the violence. Just, I drew a lot, I had a character called Blade Saxon and he was just this kind of like juggernaut mohawk metal helmet, uh, a straight rip off of Road Warrior. And it was just brutality. Now I take it that um, you grew up listening to a lot of metal. No, I metal and punk. Yeah, I'm kind of, oh, punk. I was definitely like uh, in the eighties, you know, I was introduced to, you know, that Motley Crue and all that shit. And then I saw, <laughs> purple jerks and it was just like what the fuck have i been this is like real this is and dead kennedy circle jerks and uh, uh black, black black flag absolutely i've seen yeah. black flag a couple times but then i came back to metal like when the crossover era when like metallica first came out like their first three albums that layered a, to more a, punk but metal and punk um are really important also that was a really odd time for um heavy metal because in the 80s, you, see, you used to seeing these heavy metal bands wearing their uh, leather, their, their tight pants, their, uh, their hair done with hairspray all up, their makeup, all their chains. And you, you, used, to seeing them, uh, you used to seeing this glam rock for 10 years. And all of a sudden, this band like Metallica hits. And they're not wearing any of that. 
and you start listening to Metallica and, and then Guns N' Roses. Um, and it was sort of that same thing that they went away from that whole look of rat and um, Motley Crue and um, Poison. Poison was a big one that dipped their hair up and, and, uh, and the makeup and everything. Yeah. And they, they say you, that gl- they grunge killed hair metal. There was a a small window where heavy metal was still heavy metal and it was being done by Metallica and and, uh, Guns N' Roses who weren't wearing the makeup. But then all of a sudden here comes Nirvana and bam, it was like two years after the the death of glam heavy metal and then it goes into Metallica and then you start hearing bands like Anthrax. But once uh, Nirvana hit, the punk, uh, it wasn't, it was, it was sort of punk, but it was grunge and it was all these things. And you would see this guy in just Levi's and a flannel and music changed. There was a, a twist at the end of a decade of heavy metal and it kind of killed it. But I used to listen to a lot of those bands like Twisted Sister. and I saw Twisted Sister and Dio when I was oh. And uh, D. Snyder was just using the F word, and I thought it was like, "Oh man, this is so cool." He's cursing so yeah. much, but that, yeah, that was. I grew up in the suburbs of Washington D.C., and that's that's what I knew at the time. I hadn't been exposed yet. I still was exposed to punk and stuff like that at a pretty young age, but I was into music very early on, and early on, that's what I knew was what was on MTV. But you're also on the East Coast, which was a uh, um, in the early '80s for punk. Uh, was kind of like the start of punk from CBGBs. And you got to taste a lot of that music back in the early 80s from like Talking Heads and Blondie and um, these punk bands, uh, the Ramones. And um, you got to taste that a lot earlier than what we did on the West Coast. I, I My favorite scene of all 80s punk is the West Coast, Southern California. Um, but I was exposed to punk early on because in high school there were I had friends that were a couple years older, and that was during the DC boom with Minor Threat and Bad Brains. Oh, Bad Brains, yes. Issue, and so there was a DC scene going on that was really big that kind of died out after a while. But um, that was my introduction to punk was from people in high school. Yeah, the nineties is when. Uh... When Nirvana had come out was when uh, a new punk genre came out, and that was with Green Day and um, uh, Blink-182 and Offspring. Did you like any of those bands? You know what? I would tell you that I love pop punk, but if I was to say <laughs> if I was to say that to somebody in general, they would think of MXPX, and, yeah. and, and that's not what I think of. Like I love punk that's like high energy, but I think of the Descendants who Same kind thing. of in and so the people that you know i don't like so people think of pop punk is like a hot topic punk yeah and not at all well green um, day hit pop up big i mean when they came out that I, I i do like green day i liked them with their first album dookie i like their prior album too dookie and listening yeah. to green day was a little bit of that that punk influenced by the sex pistols and stuff like that, but they were more of a 
poppy type sound, I'd say. And um, watching them on stage was a total different attitude as well. I would see them live and, and see them destroy the stage and light a Christmas tree on fire and stuff like that. That was the total punk attitude. Uh, but then through the years, watching them become what you said, I, I never heard that phrase pop punk, but that's what they were. Pop punk, they just transform into this uh, marketing machine and became pop and uh, all of a sudden they start caring about the environment they start caring about uh, different issues and different things and they started becoming more of a a band that educates you opposed to a band that entertains you yeah i like dookie i never dislike green day i don't listen so much more better yeah up in that genre like when Offspring Smash came out, you know, I I was oh, into that. Love, uh, love, love Offspring. Uh, but I didn't really follow them much yeah. farther. But the punk stuff now that's poppy punk, but it's like it's so emo kind of like swinging for the fences. Uh, like it wants to be hard, but it also wants to be soft. And, and it's you can still do a song that has intentions that are. Yeah. And not like. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's just <laughs> and it's become delayic and it's lost all its edge. And uh, yeah, that, the, that so being, like right now, punk, I think, is strong as it's been uh, in years. Oh, yeah, there's still punk. Um, there, there's there's still uh, punk tours where a bunch of punk bands and they, they might be local and then they throw in some popular bands, but it's still going. Um, I was I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was going to do a podcast on a punk show that was going to be here at the fairgrounds last year. And because of um, COVID it, it died and went away, but I wanted to see bands like they're not really punk, but they're kind of a punk influence back in the eighties is fishbone. I love fishbone. And fishbone. Uh, yeah. my top three all time favorites. Uh, the last show I saw live, I flew to San Francisco to see them play a Christmas show. That's oh, a great yeah. American well, um, year before last. I've seen Fishbone probably 12, 13 times. I've oh, wow. seen them many times as any band. Yeah, I've seen that band twice. I've seen them once at the Glass House in Pomona, which is a small little little building and it's standing room only. And I I think they probably fit over 500 to 1,000 maybe. And it's this little place. It's a real popular place, but it's called the Glass House. And I saw them there once and Offspring uh, opened for them. And Offspring wasn't even known at the time, but Fishbone, I went specifically to see, see them. Uh, another band that I really liked from the 80s, and I was young, I, I went to a place called Magic Run, Six Flags Magic Run, and I would go see them there, and it's uh, The Untouchables. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now now there is a, um, a concert or tour that they're doing with a bunch of new punk bands and they're bringing out all the old punk bands and both of them are on that venue. Yep. I got, I got to look that up. I want to go see that. Out and it's being produced by fat Mike from no effects. Oh, you know of it then. That, yeah. Okay. Is it out here or is it, is it being toured around? Oh no. I mean the album. Fish oh, okay. Has, okay. That hasn't come out yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Party at Gonzo is like one of my favorite songs. Yeah, there, there's a lot of musical influences that I've had as well. Did music ever influence you to uh, draw? I know heavy metal was 
kind of a movie and the music, but was there any uh, musical artists that you wanted to draw back? Yeah, uh, I have a bunch, like, like uh, I was totally into the punk artists, like Pusshead was one of my biggest influences. I love, I would love to meet Pusshead. Like, I, I heard he was at DesignerCon last year, and if I knew he was there, I would have gone there just to meet him. Like, his line work and the skulls, and that guy is one of my biggest influences. But Mad Mark Rude was a punk artist, and uh, um, Jaime Hernandez from Love and Rockets. I knew him before Love and Rockets when he was doing covers for Nardcore bands like uh, Dr. No. And- but, but Love and Rockets was kind of a change for him, uh, going from his older music to Love and Rockets. What? Was it? Oh no, Club and Rockets. This style was uh, similar. Do you know who the Hernandez brothers are? Hernandez brothers. Um, they're, I, they're, I, I would say they're from my neighborhood, but no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, they they did a comic called Love and Rockets. It's three brothers, and Jaime Hernandez was uh, the one that I really liked. But he was all, oh, also hands involved in that scene. He did a lot of covers for. Um, for those bands. And that was a big, his art was a big influence. I mean, made me want to draw like punk stuff. And I did a lot of punk logos and punk stuff in comics and uh, things like that when I was younger and still add punk elements in my artwork. That's cool. Music has played a big influence on my life too, but I was never an artist. I never tried to be. I'm more of a, um, abstract artists where if i do some lines going different directions to me that was art but you guys do an amazing job you have some really uh, amazing art covers and now when you do uh, your covers you do the line work and you do um the sketch and someone else does the coloring or do you do, you do both i don't do the color i'm not a good colorist um to me every cover is an opportunity to deliver the best thing you can like a director who hires uh, a cinematographer so i am very picky about who i work with but i have been working with one guy mostly um for about 10 years and so i think we have a good style together and uh if he's available we work together the only time we didn't work together was when his computer broke or there were some issues like that but i have one go-to guy sanju uh yeah you knew that that's who sweet. is uh, he lives in Mumbai, India, and he's he's an awesome guy and a great colorist, yeah, great artist in general. I noticed you're always commenting on his coloring and uh, doing the coloring to your sketches. I figured he'd probably be your favorite go to guy. I feel guilty, you know, promoting those things without mentioning him because I feel like it's a collaborative effort. It's not, I don't want ever to be like, hey, this is my cover. Oh, you know what I mean? It's, it's I, uh, I, I totally get, to get that. I, I totally get that. I see people that he's worked with and they go, my cover for this. Like, what about the guy you work with? Give him credit. Um, but most people do. Now, now, most people that know me uh, and are listening to this podcast know that um, we're putting together an event called Scarefare. And during the process of Scarefare, I had a vision. And my vision would uh, be hard to uh, translate on paper because I'd have to try to draw it out. Or, uh, but I had a vision from the very beginning, and some of it went exactly with my vision. Some of them, some of it didn't. A lot of the art 
went beyond my vision, but was still stayed within the vision. And when we posted stuff on our Instagram, I got a lot of compliments. It's like, great job, Eddie. That looks awesome. I didn't do the art. It was uh, a friend of mine named Jenna Sparks. She did the art for um, uh, a scare fair. And right here is one of the posters. I'm very particular and probably she hated me during this whole process because I'll say, take that off, put this here, or it's spelling was wrong or whatever. And I'd critique it being that she was the artist. It was hard for me to do that and not feel guilty for doing it. But I got to give her a lot of credit. Just like you said, you, you give Sanjay uh, credit, Sanjay credit for doing your art. She was the artist behind a lot of all uh, of, of the scare fair, but I, I had a vision and she went with my vision and totally blew it out of the water. Yeah. Well, you're the client. So the client, that's what the client wants. So I would you because I know what I want and I ask him to make changes and we work together and not everything, but most things it's like, Hey, can you change this a little bit? Can you do this? And then I'll do like little touch up stuff that it's easier just to touch up than to explain to him. But then I have to also deal with a publisher who can tell me, hey, you uh, know what? Yeah. Some of them and some of them are happy with what you do, and some of them are pain in the ass, and they're like, oh, this go back, and then it's uh so the, the client is always right. So yeah. you know what? If you don't listen to an editor, an editor will make you better. If you don't want to listen to an editor or a, a client, then you just do it yourself. So that's yeah, uh, yeah I would have destroyed it. I, I've tried doing it myself and having the correct um apps or programs to do it i would do it the absolute hard way and take me forever i might get when i i might get something close to what i'm aiming for but i won't hit it perfection uh because i'm not using the the correct uh uh programs i'm not using the correct apps or whatever that you guys use to do all your art or as the client you'd hire somebody else yeah it's like a well, listen, now, to me, it's like if I don't want to be criticized, then I could just do my own art, which I'm working on my own book. But I wouldn't be – I. it's – no editor ever told me to make a change, and I was like, oh, yeah, right. Every time I've ever been asked to make a change, I was like, oh, fuck you. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I pulled down like a couple hours later, and then I changed it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So it made me better taking the criticism and having somebody who was the client you know, or an editor nitpicking. So, yeah, that's good for an artist. Right. That's a good segue right there. You mentioned that you're doing your own book now. You have something coming out in Kickstarter in September or October. Want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm working on, finally working on a book. Um, I've been doing covers, and I know I've written and drawn comics my entire life. But I with the comic covers, that's been really good and keeps me busy. And I've gotten away from doing stuff like that. And I never really published my own book and so with covid it seemed like the time was right i've been developing a book um that i'm writing drawing publishing uh, you gave me a peek at who the character was and right off the bat when i saw the character i thought she is a badass character that i would like to know about like to read about and like to see and it reminded me so much of uh the road warrior uh, meets a uh, tank girl and, but the, the, the coloring 
and uh, the drawing of the art uh, of, of her uh, is what really uh, intrigued me. I'm going to show a picture of, of who we're talking about here. What is her name? Her name is Kim. So the book is Kim the Delusional, and it's kind of hard to describe. Um, it's She lives in two universes, so uh, it's part fantasy, horror, grindhouse meets part crime, zombie grindhouse come together, and um, she is just out of her mind. It's just brutality, over-the-top, sexy, uh, I just am throwing everything I have into this, everything that I love, grindhouse films and uh, horror films and action films. And uh, was, um, was, was she based off of influence of yours? She, just- I have a, another comic that has a much bigger story that's a crime story. I have a lot of characters in that. And she just became eventually a side character in uh, an offshoot kind of crime part of the thing. And I kind of like the setting of the character and what started with her in a zombie kind of crime story just became bigger and bigger. And then I decided, you know, let's do this first, this offshoot single character first before I try and jump into something that's much bigger. And um, and as I did that, it just grew and became bigger and bigger. So I still like to do the other main thing but originally she was created in a way that i could do more fantastical kind of crazy over the top stories within a story that was more based not in reality but more crime based and uh not fantasy horror based is she surrounded around um other characters that have a unique trait that you can actually uh, do a spin-off yeah so the other characters that are around her are main characters that were in the original bigger story that I had who are a bunch of kind of criminals Mm -hmm. and drug dealers and yeah, really bad people. So she's not a bad person, but she gets caught up in something. And so the supporting characters are um, those uh, criminal people from the bigger story. Um, You're going to have a couple of artists, great artists that um, are, teaming up with you and doing some cover art. Um, can you mention some of them? Yeah, covers, um, Dan Mendoza, um, Sun Kanumaki, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, Elias Chazudis, Jose Varese, Randy Green, Nate Zerti, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, uh, Sora Sung, and Ryan Kincaid. I think that might be a first you one. Now, behind, now be, behind you is another example of your character, and that right there is drawn by Sun, correct? Yeah, that's uh, what's on the monitor. Uh, she looks awesome. I can't wait for that comic to come out. That's a killer cover. That that's on my uh, wallpaper. That gives me inspiration to keep <laughs> keep yeah. barreling ahead. Well, Sun is an awesome artist. Uh, um, my wife has been following her for a while, and. I enjoy a lot of her art and she's just perfect. Um, her line work and uh, her curvature and stuff like that. It's just awesome. Yeah. I met her in Toronto with Dan. And uh, when I saw her stuff, I think it was the monsterella cover. And I was like, how do I not 
know who you are. And uh, right away, I knew I wanted to get something from her cover wise. And I was like, I knew she was going to like explode. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. We talked the other night. Um, we had a phone call, a uh, phone conversation the other night. And it shocked me how much uh, you knew a lot of the artists and how close you were to a lot of the people, not just artists, but people that are coming to Scarefair as well. And uh, it's a small world. Uh, one of the artists, of course, being Dan Mendoza, how you, uh, you've known him for many years, but um, also uh, Curtis Rykovic and a couple of other people from Los Angeles. It's a small world when you when you look at, especially doing something like this, putting together a good cast of people to come out to an event, and then all of a sudden you have everybody jumping on uh, as well. I don't go anywhere except for, <laughs> and I travel. So if I saw the people that live next door, at the grocery store, I don't know who the fuck they're like. I wouldn't even. <laughs> but when I do get out, I go to conventions and I'm into art and I'm into artists and I like talking shop. And uh, so that's why I know so many of these artists. And also online, those I Facebook, I'm almost at my 5,000 max. But as far as really personal friends, it's, you know, probably 10 people. It's all like I follow art and artists. It's what my interest is, what I do when I get up in the morning. How much of COVID? Uh like kind of destroyed your inspiration to, to continue going without knowing when there's going to be an end to COVID. To me, COVID worked out really well. Now I took a financial hit pretty strong just from not doing shows, but yeah, it forced me to focus on my art. And I do believe my art's gotten better and I wouldn't be as far along on the book. And I don't know that I would have started if I didn't, because I was doing shows like every other weekend the time like today I was a little behind because I have a show tomorrow and I was preparing for the show. Um, but when I have shows you prepare and then you come home, then you're beat up and you have like two days and then you know, go back out <laughs> the next weekend, but the amount of time you got before. So it really ha was kind of a blessing. The COVID thing for my art art wise. Do you have a lot of shows? I, I, I've seen your schedule on on your um, Facebook, and also actually Scarefair is on that schedule as well. Did you add to it? Yeah, I, yeah, but I might subtract because I'm. I found out about three weeks ago that my landlord. He's like, I've had enough. Get out of my house. No, he didn't. But he's <laughs> here a while, and I was like, yeah. And I go, uh, I had never intended to stay here. It was convenient because I was traveling so much. But I'm renting a studio space from a friend in his basement and I have a room. He has another, uh, he has a girlfriend and it's kind of weird, but, uh, so I found out I have to move. So I have, I have September 1st is when I'm supposed to be out, but I have shows every weekend in September. I have things scheduled probably eight of the next 10 weekends. Like everything's happening at once. And now I got to move right. in the middle of it. So like these white walls, this used to be filled with art, but, um, as soon as I knew I had to go, you I packed just packed. away except for the art equipment. So I could, so I got nothing done for a full week, just throwing away sorting and just getting ready to move. So I'm ready to go. So it can be a quick transition. I can get right back to work, but I have, so I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to make every one of those shows, but I'm, I am not giving up. I hope I can. Good. Doing Scarefare, uh, putting together a list, uh, me putting together a list of uh, people that are going to appear. I, put on a person who you automatically uh, gave attention to 
uh, you and Dan Harrigan, uh, I'm sorry, David Harrigan, both gave it attention. That was, um, I had posted that Joe Bob Briggs was going to appear at Scarefair uh, on October 30th. And you two responded so quickly at that post. Is he a big fan of yours? Do you like watching him? Uh, I, you know, like I watched him when he was on years ago that hadn't thought about him too much. And then Shutter came about and they brought back the last driving. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, it's fucking perfect. Not only do they play like bad movies, but they, <laughs> they down and it's like comedic, but you get to see these movies you never saw, or if it's a movie that you saw before, it makes it more interesting. But as far as like writing, and creating and stuff like that the idea of how they break in and tell you oh well this guy was killed in the car wreck a week later this yeah. and they tell about the production and the director had a problem it, it, it makes the things like way more interesting than the movie itself so i love that format and uh, i've watched like every one of his like those drive-in movies and i've re-watched them and um i don't really care about yes the shows that much but to me, Joe Bob, to see Joe Bob would be fucking cool. Yeah. So he dissects movies very well and explains um, <laughs> a lot about the movie that you had no idea. And some of it, maybe you had no curiosity before, but once he explains it, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. He, this guy used to, this character used to be on this movie and this movie and produced by this guy and directed by this guy. So you kind of like, connect the dots he uh, he allows you to connect the dots between movies and actors and characters yeah, a great one my favorite of them all was a movie called deadbeat at dawn and it was this independently made movie and everything like they wrecked this car and then they drove it into the water and it didn't sink and they have the backstory where they bought it for 100 bucks and they couldn't get the sink so they just abandoned it and then the cops came to film school and arrested them because they tracked them and so like so much of that makes the movie experience so much more interesting than just a B movie. No, a lot of these uh, cons that you go to, you're not able to meet a whole lot of people because you're signing autographs. You have a line of your own. You have people purchasing from you. So you don't get to go out and venture the con yourself. I could, I guess, but I don't really like, I see everybody I know on the way in on -hmm. the way out and at the bar (laughs) at the bar. Uh, Yeah. Not a guy that usually goes right back to the room. I'm usually somebody that likes to, you know, hang out, have some drinks and talk shop. But as far as guests, seeing guests, I, I don't usually do that. I like to be at the table. I camp out at the table. If I have to use a bathroom, I use a bathroom. But I, it's rare that at a show you won't find me at the table during the hours. And there aren't a lot of guests that I haven't seen before or actually want to go talk to. Like there are guys like, you know, J. Scott Campbell. But what do you go? Oh, I love your work. What am I going to go? <laughs> I say really get in the back of line. <laughs> I just don't know what to say to guys like that. And every time I have approached people that I really love artists, I put my foot in my mouth. Like every time you try and compliment somebody, like when I do, it always comes out like backhand. Like it's just so. Yeah, I don't. I, I mostly see friends, artists, friends. Those are the people I interact yeah. with the most. Now you mentioned J. Scott Campbell. Um, is there any other artists that you? would like to meet that you uh, were influenced by or um, I don't know that I really need to meet anybody. There are guys I'd love to have a piece of art by, but uh, modern guys um, like Joe mad is fucking awesome. J Scott Campbell uh, art Adams is uh, 
in my top two, probably with Adam Hughes. And I've met Adam Hughes and Art Adams multiple times. And every time I'm like shaking and just feel like right. an idiot, like um, fanboying out. So, um, no, I mentioned yeah. to you that we're going to have uh, a big comic artist, and that was Chad Harden next year. And you said something about um, wanting him to uh, sign something or you're influenced by something that he, done, he had done. Oh, no, I said that I was, uh, I liked his work a lot. Yeah, yeah. I also said I considered asking him if I could commission him for a cover, but I heard that, <laughs> yeah. that my book has regular and new covers. I, I I didn't only because, I, for one thing, I don't want to offend him um, right. by asking for nudity. And the other thing is I, I need a nude cover. Oh, yeah. It's just it's just kind of my uh, game plan. It is, is that kind of the freedom that you have as an independent artist? and uh, doing your own book to have that freedom to uh, choose whether you're going to use nudity or not. Is that a plus? Uh, choose who I'm going to use? Or just choose your own art or your own being able to decide whether you want a nude cover or, or want uh, some nudity in your own book. And you don't have to answer to a publisher. or. Yeah, I guess. You have freedom to do what you want. But most people, I think most people that would hire me would know that that's no. um, like in I'm sure in in the Kim book there's nudity, but there's you know there's boobs you know and it's sexy mm. but like hardcore you know <laughs> like again I I love pinup stuff and I love gore but I want it to be fun gore and fun pinup stuff not you know hardcore pornography or you know dark violent you know like my violence is just so over the top like uh twisted and kind of at least i hope people don't take it too seriously doing your own book and uh is this the first time independently that you're doing your own kickstarter yeah absolutely this the, the kickstarter has has been a, a pretty popular thing amongst a lot of uh artists and it gives you the independence to get away from a publisher to do create your own thing. Have you found Kickstarter to be something, a direction that you want to go primarily um, with? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any other place to go for what I do. Um, I don't see any future for what I do in comic shops. When I work for Action Lab, I won't even tell you what they paid me for covers. It's embarrassing what they paid for a cover. The amount of comics you'd have to sell to go through Diamond to make money is impossible. Yeah. The everybody's getting their hand in it, and they take like fifty percent of the top comicsology. I just and people know me from Kickstarters. I've been working on a lot of Kickstarter projects, and right. I haven't even about you know if somebody approaches me about doing a retailer variant or if somebody like it's nice. And it was awesome working on Zombie Tramp when the books would go through comic shops because people that only follow comic shops wouldn't know who I was without that so it was a big help um but there are people also that just follow kickstarters like kickstarters become a big thing to have the freedom to do what you want to do and control the project and control every you know it's just i just don't see a future for i don't even consider diamond and comic shops a, a future for what i do kickstarter is sort of like for artists and um, people that create their own uh, product is kind of like the napster of today's music industry um, where Napster was totally going 
into independently, but they were doing things illegally. But now you have Spotify, you have um, Pandora, where musicians could actually just plug their music right into them and be heard, where they don't have to go through a, uh, a record company. Uh, they would like to to get that big dollar, but they could sell their music on their own. Yeah, I don't know how Spotify is legal because it's awesome. Yeah, and yeah, every, and for what it costs, if you're a music fan, you listen to a lot of music. It for yeah, what it costs, that, yeah. it's fucking fantastic. But at the same time, there are so many bands that I listen to that I discovered on Spotify that I never would have heard if I had to drop, you know, money on a CD. Um, it's introduced me to so many bands that I just wouldn't have known. But yeah, yeah, I love Spotify. The only thing is with Spotify or, or some of those other um, uh, platforms is that you, the music that you collect are only those certain songs that you like or um, and you put it on uh, a, a drive or, or whatever. I enjoy having the product, the actual disc or whatever with me as well. And I went back, I'm, I'm starting to go back and all the CDs that I sold throughout the years that, and record albums that I've sold throughout the years, I'm going back and repurchasing them uh, because I want to be able to play them and listen to the whole entire uh, album opposed to just listening to one song. And now with technology, I could uh, do better mixes and stuff with my, my equipment, but um I still have my CDs and all my records. I just don't have time to just yeah. put them on. I can, I can, I can, you know, right above my drawing table. I can access whatever I want. Yeah. Playing through the, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. I even, you know, you used to have a nostalgia for record albums, and I found like a CD recently that I went to give to somebody and was like holding the CD. It was just like, wow, I remember these. It <laughs> yeah, kind of thing of the past, but it is coming back in albums in a in a big way. Are coming back. Uh, they're re-digitalizing them, and they're also um, reworking the, the the vinyl as well by imposing a picture on the vinyl to make it an exclusive. So people want to go buy out, buy the album, and now it's exclusive. Well, that same album we bought 20 years ago it was only like five bucks picked up from Tower Records or Licorice Pizza or one of these album places back then, and now they're like 25 to 30 bucks. Yeah, I used to go to record exchanges. You could, you know, people would cash in the records and get them used records like so cheap. I, after a while, I actually took all my important records, all my rare records, and I uh, digitized them myself and then put yeah. them in my. So I have them all on my computer and I can just access them through the computer. Yeah. And uh, it's not the same thing listening to a record, but it's just like with Spotify, I can put it on my Xbox, listen to it through the TV. I can go take, it's all on my phone. Yeah. So you I take it to your phone, to your computer, to your TV in your car. <laughs> yeah. I just don't have time to take a record out and, but I can't part with some of them. I have a lot of like really rare punk vinyls and stuff that I just couldn't, I, I don't know that I'll ever put on the turntable, but I, uh, I will don't want to get rid of them either. Where can uh, our fans find you on uh, social media? uh bill mckay art on instagram bill mckay art on twitter bill mckay.92 on facebook if you just uh i'm pretty easy to find on facebook and bill mckay on deviantart if anybody ever went back to deviantart i still have that i update every now and then i like the interface like how you can look at the artwork but it's a ghost town 
Yeah, but those are the most. Uh, the, now, now, if somebody wanted to see you live, they could go on your site and just, you have a schedule up or on your Facebook um, page. And you're also going to be at Scare Fair on October 30th here in Southern California in Victorville at the San Bernardino Fairgrounds. I'm very, very thrilled to have you uh, as part of that. Um, Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, I know it's going to be fun. You're going to do a an exclusive cover for us or for Scare Fair. Is that right? Yeah, I <laughs> my hymn book will probably not be out, but I will have. A, I do limited line art books, and I will have a chem preview book that uh, I will have at the show. That's great, awesome, and that'll be exclusive uh, for fans that are, attend that that show. Now, people in Southern California or California in general uh, will come out uh, if they're fans of yours. And also because of where we're located in Victorville, we're also close to Arizona and uh, Nevada as well. So uh, we have a couple of artists from there. We have uh, some vendors from from uh, Las Vegas as well. So uh, come on out on October 30th, see Bill McKay, see some uh, other artists, Dan Mendoza, Isaac Bell, um, David Harrigan, Nightmare Lynch, J.P. Roth, E. Bass, who's a... Eric Basadua, there's some others, and there's also some artists. Uh, see uh, Joe Bob Briggs, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna have uh, Walter Phelan, uh, Dr. Satan from um, House of a Thousand Corpses as well, and uh, Eileen Dietz, who is uh, she was probably one of the first ones uh, that start off a character in horror like a Dr. Satan type character that isn't in the movie as much, but is not predominantly known just by looking at that character. character. Uh, Elaine uh, Dietz did um, Pazuzu from um, The Exorcist. So she's kind of the legend to have her as well. Well, thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate you being on. I enjoyed the time talking to you. Thank you so much, Eddie. I'm really looking forward to the show. Okay. Well, it's gonna um, it's gonna air on Tuesday, which is the thirteenth, actually. I believe July thirteenth. Uh, uh, this Tuesday. Pardon me. I said scare fair. I'm looking forward to. Now. Oh, scare fair. Okay. Yeah, the expo. You said show. Okay, the expo. You're looking forward to. Not not specifically the podcast, <laughs> but the, yeah, we're looking forward to it as well. Um, putting to the, this thing together it was a quite a treat, and um, having you guys there at the at the expo would be it's going to be awesome so coming out thank you very much bill thank you so much eddie all right bye everybody